Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Last question, is he now considering mandating vaccinations to fly domestically? We are always looking at more we can do to protect and save lives. Uh, obviously, he made a significant and bold uh, announcement yesterday, so I have anything to preview, predict or preview for you, but we'll continue to look for ways to save more lives. So that's got to be a yes, right? That we will get to the place where you need to have a vaccine to get on an airplane. And me, I already bought my tickets for Florida in December. Ah! Because it won't just be you. What about your kids? What about your over age 12 kids? What if they're not vaccinated? They're going to be allowed to get on the plane? What's going to be the rule there? The conversation here is one of force. And as we've been discussing, the people who refuse to admit it, I, I, I brought this up earlier. I put out on Twitter, few things are more frightening than seeing the amount of Americans so joyfully embracing the word comply. It's it's hard to believe that this is America. And as I got into, there are things that are worse than death, people. You understand that, right? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, Parlor, Instagram, Twitter, Tony Katz, everything at TonyKatz.com. There are things worse than death. And for the people who don't understand that, the only answer is North Korea. If they can't figure it out from there, well, they're just going to need to take their time. You have to just accept the fact that they are not prepared to look at life as it is. The, the fundamental difference, I'm not the one who came up with this. I, I want to say it was former Congressman Thaddeus McCotter, where the first place um, I, 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 I heard this. The, the conservative takes a look at the world the way it is and then acts accordingly. The, the, the progressive takes a look at the world the way they want it to be and tries to bend everyone's worldview to that. That's, that's the difference. And I like to look at the world the way it is. And the world the way it is, it's clear that there are things worse than death. North Korea proves that. And I'm not uh, so much interested in having a fight with people who want to tell me that you're going to force people to get vaccinated for their safety and then lie about the for your safety. And we've been talking about this, but that's actually not what I wanted to get into. I wanted to get into this conversation about Brian Stelter. I know what you're saying. Why? Oh, why? Oh, dear, sweet Lord. Why would I ever want to get into the conversation about this CNN freak show? Well, allow me, because something happened over the weekend that um, that's problematic. This regarding September 11th. We saw Biden was out there with President Obama and President Clinton, and he was screaming and yelling at people. He's taking his mask down. It was, it was, it was a bit of a freak show. It was a bit of a freak show. And then, of course, people are like, oh, no one cares about Donald Trump. Oh, he's not even here. He doesn't care about these people. Trump was with firefighters. Trump was with police officers. 
So uh, the, the, the nonstop Trump fetish continues. But this is a different fetish. This fetish is the fetish of profession. The fetish of profession is what happens in, with, with Brian Stelter, with, with Jim Acosta, and a series of people in the world of Trump where they decided that their job was only to perpetuate the idea that their profession is the most valuable. I'm not here to say that journalists are invaluable. I think journalists are valuable. Incredibly valuable. What is not valuable is journalists who don't actually engage in journalism and then demand you treat them as journalists. Here is an example of non-journalism. Now true, it's a tweet. He's quoting a piece that's in the AP. Follow me. There's a story from the Associated Press from September 7th, so this is before September 11th, right? But it's this year, just saying on the TV, 9-11 was the last huge story for big three network anchors. That's an interesting way to look at it. It could be an argument of, you know, with the advent of social media and everything on your phone, that, that's where you're going to look at things now. You're not necessarily saying turn on your TV. And a lot of people said turn on your TV because you had to see it to believe it. So that's an interesting, you know, view. It's Tom Brokaw. It was Peter Jennings at the time, uh, the late Peter Jennings uh, from uh, from ABC, and Dan Rather, the guy who would go on to humiliate himself in lying about George Bush's uh, uh, Air National Guard record. But an interesting thing. Brian Stelter tweets this out. And says network TV anchors were, and he quotes from the article, the closest thing that America had to national leaders on 9-11. They were the moral authority for the country on that first day, unquote, especially with political leaders in bunkers or otherwise out of sight. That is not true. Now, maybe you didn't live through 9-11. I did. I was in Washington, D.C., to the extent that I didn't live through it like anybody who was in the World Trade Center or at the Pentagon or in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, absolutely true. To the extent that I was in a city that was under attack, absolutely true. To the extent that the people of Flight 93 for crashing that plane in Shanksville saved my life, without question true. When we watched what was going on, I never once turned to my wife, who, by the way, I, I had left for work that morning, and she was a teacher at, at the time. We couldn't get in touch with each other on September 11th. We had no way of contacting each other. You could try a cell phone. Nothing worked. There, there were no circuits. All circuits are busy. It was nothing but all circuits are busy. So until she walked in the door some hours later, I didn't see her. I didn't know if she was okay. And she worked at a school where kids' parents worked at the Pentagon. It was, it was D.C. It was a very standard thing, working in government and around government. So you had kids not able to get in touch with their parents, parents coming back to pick up their kids, driving through that traffic. It took hours. Imagine the scene. Never mind, you don't know where your spouse is. You don't know where your kids are. Your kids don't know where you are if you're alive, etc.
maddening, spanning things. But when my wife and I were watching what was going on, never once did we say, thank goodness Tom Brokaw is here to make it better. That never, ever, ever, ever happened. I cannot tell you what it was like for people in the days of Walter Cronkite. I cannot tell you the amount of people who watched Cronkite and he quite literally could move a nation. This war is lost. That man lost Vietnam. People who serve in the military will tell you that things were actually in a place for victory and we allowed defeat to take place. If you go back and engage some of those uh, people regarding history, and I'm sure there could be debate on it, but nothing set the American focus like this war is lost. Now, when we watched what was happening via September 11, though, and certainly I never got that feel from anybody. I don't even remember where I was watching. I think I was watching a more local cast. Maybe they were tied into a national. But the idea that somehow they were the moral authority of the country, nobody felt that. Wait a second. I can't say nobody. I'll speak for myself. No, I think I'll speak for a lot of people. Nobody felt that. Because to feel that about the news is to not understand what the news is there for. The news is not the moral authority. It should be the last thing in the world they're trying to do is be the moral authority. That's not journalism. Producer Ari majored in in journalism. And he gets absolutely outraged. And I, look, producer Ari and I disagree about a fair amount of things. We agree about a fair amount of things. We talk about almost everything. But there's nothing that more outrages millennial producer Ari, journalism major, than when journalists or anybody in a host position tries to make themselves the story. Oh, with a passion. I hate it. With the passion of a thousand burning hot suns. It drives him crazy. Like if, if, if somebody, like a newscaster, will get a note from a fan, hey, why are you so fat? And the newscaster then says, I got this letter of someone calling me fat. Let me tell you why that's rude. He hates those people. He hates those people. With a passion. If I were to ask producer Ari, is the, is the TV anchor the moral authority of the country? I've never asked him this before. He didn't know I was going to bring this up. I only make the assumption he'd say, what are you talking about? Producer Ari, is the network TV anchor the moral authority of the country? He is not. Well, by the way, the correct answer is they is not because it could be a she and you are a bigot. But the bigger story is that of course they're not. All rational people know this. The anchor is there to move the story. Now, I will agree that an anchor through their tone and through their tenor could create fear, and you want to avoid that, but that's true on every subject. When we do breaking news here, people who have been a part of, of, of this show know that I do change tone. I bring it straight. I bring it direct. I bring it focused. I remind people we don't have the facts here. We don't have the facts there. Here's just what we have as the data and we're reporting it. It's extremely important 
not to allow your personal feelings to 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 infect something that's breaking. When I do commentary, my personal feelings are very much a part of the story. That's what the commentary is. Commentary is your personal feelings. No one thought this on September 11th. It was a time for getting information to America. And that's what they did. Now, if I were to go back and watch everything that Peter Jennings or Dan Rather or Tom Brokaw did at that time, would I find bias in it? I don't know. Maybe it's certainly possible that I could find bias in it. It's possible that it's there. But nobody was looking to them for that. They wanted to know what was happening, how it happened, where everybody was. The idea that our political leaders were out of sight. The president was in Florida, he flew to Louisiana, he flew to Nebraska, he flew back home. You know why? Because that's what he was supposed to do. It wasn't that he was out of sight. By the way, they didn't want him to go back to D.C. He demanded it. He said, get me back in the White House. That, one of the, one of the unsung stories is the system in which they kept the president safe when they didn't know what was happening and how that moved in the secrecy they were able to move, in the silence that they were able to move, is a stunning story. But understand why Brian Stelter puts this out. It's because he wants to feel good about what he does and he needs it to be important more than he needs anything. And he needs you to know how important he is. This is a desperation to buy into the idea that we have to listen to our betters and our betters are on network and cable news. That's what he's pushing. Horrifically and shamefully. And to use 9-11 as a way to say, see, I'm important. Is disgusting. And a real insult to the memory of thousands who lost their lives for doing nothing wrong. And that, Brian Stelter, is why the people don't trust media. And specifically, why they hate you. I'm Tony Katz. What was your reaction as you saw the lightning advance of the Taliban across Afghanistan and then sweeping into Kabul with that Afghan National Army hardly putting up a fight? Please, it was uh, absolutely uh, stunning uh, to uh, to witness this. Uh, you know how how did this happen? Uh, how did this unfold? Why was it this house of cards militarily and politically? There were several reasons for this. We can look back now and say these were the reasons. They weren't necessarily as evident at the time. One reason was the way the Afghan army had been developed. It was very dependent upon U.S. so-called enablers, intelligence, communications, air mobility, uh, firepower that could be called in from
from distant uh, locations in the sky and appear within minutes. When we pulled out, it's as if we pulled the plumbing of the Afghan National Security Forces uh, with us. Now, that was over at BBC. And I thought that clip was interesting because, A, it was so descriptive, as if we pulled the plumbing out of the Afghan army. It's the person who said it. It, That was um, retired Lieutenant uh, General Carl Eikenberry, who was the former uh, top commander in Afghanistan, a former ambassador to Kabul in the Obama administration. I think it's very, very wrong of us to think that, oh, well, Afghanistan is in the rear view. We're going to forget. No chance, no how. How many Americans are still left in Afghanistan? How many Americans did we leave to die? How many Afghanis have we left to be tortured and killed? Not forgetting anything. It is okay for us to engage Two conversations. Number one, it's very clear, I think, to to a lot of people that the training we were doing, the teaching we were doing, the the objective uh, of Afghanistan got lost and did not work. If we trained a military to fight like Americans and not fight like Afghanis, I would argue that that was some terrible, terrible, terrible training. Not that they were trained poorly, it's that conceptually, that's not how we should be training them. But the other part of it is, we cannot confuse what has happened in Afghanistan with the withdrawal from Afghanistan, which is all the fault of Joe Biden. He left Americans to die. That's Joe Biden. That's Lloyd Austin, the defense secretary. That's Antony Blinken, the secretary of state, who is, by the way, a sniveling dude. He is, if, if you want a guy who just exudes absolute weakness, it's Anthony Blinken. It's, it's actually shocking to watch him. It really is. These are the people who failed us. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley. The more you talk to military people, the idea that we would leave Bagram Air Force Base has just, they still can't, they can't get their heads around it. They cannot fathom how it is possible to say we didn't need Bagram. Why you would give up an Air Force base? Now, is this Air Force base going to be given to China? We don't have an answer for that yet. One could assume that will be the case. But I don't necessarily have an answer. I'm going to assume yes. So don't confuse the two issues on Afghanistan. How we did this for 20 years and things we did wrong, which is okay to talk about. And how Joe Biden did this withdrawal entirely wrong and left Americans to die. Took the plumbing out of the Afghan army. Those are the facts. This is Tony Katz today. I think it's important to remember that the mandate from Joe Biden, that's not a done deal. I mean, it's important for us to be discussing it, but it is not a done deal. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. And let me tell you, there have been some absolutely horrific opinions 
regarding the, 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 the mandate. And, I mean, for, first and, and foremost, did you hear this from the Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy, V-I-V-E-K, Murthy, M-U-R-T-H-Y, Surgeon General of the United States, answering the question from, from Dana Bash over at CNN about vaccines, like, oh, yeah, oh, the, the, we, mandates, we, we need this. Well, then I think that the the aggressive actions of, of you know earlier this week that the president announced are, are not the only set of aggressive actions uh, that we've taken in the administration. We've been working extraordinarily hard to vaccinate people, and not only that, but we've made progress. Two hundred million people, Dana, uh, have gotten at least one shot of the of the vaccine, and that's one of the reasons uh, why we've actually saved many lives and many hospitalizations. Now, with Delta, which was a new uh, twist, a twist, if you will, uh, a new curveball, uh, it re- has required us to take another set of actions and that's what you heard the president announce and there will be more there's always another twist that doesn't mean you suspend the constitution because you've got yourself a variant and this is why doctors can't ever be in charge they don't have it they don't have the capacity to be in charge they don't have the 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 mindset the, the 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 sechel which would be the yiddish to be in charge and then uh you know, Lord forbid, if you think you should be able to get yourself some kind of uh, exemption. Well, then, you know, that's while while that's always a possibility. It's something that we have fortunately have experience with as a, as a country. We've had vaccine requirements for a number of other illnesses. Uh, we do that in schools, for example. When you and I went to a great school. We uh, likely had to make sure and confirm that we had certain vaccines in place uh, before we actually came to school. So, fortunately, as a country, we have experience in dealing with uh, exemptions. But we've got to be vigilant there and make sure that people are using them, uh, you know, in the spirit that they're intended. The spirit there intended is people saying, I don't want any part of this, and you don't get to judge. But the, the, the Surgeon General does not believe this. The Surgeon General is convinced that the Surgeon General gets to judge. Which brings us to a, a absolutely horrific take from Jonah Goldberg. Uh, this is embarrassing from Jonah who long time at National Review and long time talking about conservatism, um, the, the tyranny of cliches, liberal fascism, these books that, that he's written. He's a smart dude. Let us not kid ourselves. He has written many things I agree with and many things that I have questioned. But when he decided that the answer to all things is never Trump, it is very obvious that that never Trump mentality has led people down a path of rethinking the properness of their position. As if they're trying to ride a rail. How do I still be conservative but still stick it to, to, to the Trump supporter? Now, maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe this isn't how they visualize it. And this is actually how he's always been. But this was the headline from Jonah Goldberg writing a guest piece at National Review in response to Charles Cook, who I love. Charles, you ever run into one of those guys where you're like, yeah, this guy's clearly smarter than me? Yeah, Charles Cook is one of those dudes. Charles is one of those dudes. What are you going to do? He just is. Charles C.W. Cook. And so Jonah Goldberg writing in response to him about uh, the vaccines and the mandates 
writes, Biden's vaccine mandate is wrong, but wouldn't have happened if more got vaxxed. And just for that headline alone, Jonah Goldberg should be set aside from civil society. Biden's vaccine mandate is wrong, but wouldn't have happened if more got vaxxed. No, no, no. That is the same thing as the Surgeon General Vivek Murthy saying, well, we got the Delta variant and that's a twist, so now we have to have these mandates. No, that's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. Man, I should have that audio. I don't have that audio with me. I should get that. We have it somewhere, Producer Ari. Just because something happens doesn't mean that the entirety of the Constitution or privacy goes by the wayside. But here, let me give you a a, a point that he makes that I want to dissect. Charlie Cook writes, I suspect that this would be more obvious if we shifted the context. It is true, for example, that cops wouldn't need to break into private homes without warrants if there weren't so many criminals. But it's also irrelevant. The law is the law, irrespective of the pressures that are put on it. There is almost always a plausible reason for the government to act, which is why we write down the rules and then demand that it stick to them. That's where you and I are. That's where the rational mind is. We have laws that protect us, the citizen. Remember, it was Barack Obama who lamented the fact that the Constitution is a grouping of negative charters. And the grouping of negative charters is not, it, 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 as he saw it, it's not what government must do, must do for you. It's what government cannot do to you. He is actually bothered by this is the president, the former president, Barack Obama, bothered by the idea that the Constitution did not offer enough to say what the country must do for you, as opposed to the idea of leaving you alone. So I uh, am a big fan of the Constitution as written and absolutely get this. Cops wouldn't be needed to break into private homes without warrants if there weren't so many criminals is a great line. We shouldn't just allow cops to infringe our rights because somebody else does something wrong, something we've discussed many times. Jonah Goldberg takes a look at this point and says, I agree with this entirely, but I think it buttresses my point. My point was about the criminals in this analogy. Let's say there's a massive crime wave spurred in large part by various irresponsible talking heads and politicians who, Bane-like, tell the have-nots they have every right to appropriate the property of the haves. In response, the government starts taking draconian measures that eventually cross the line to state-sanctioned lawlessness. While I would join in Charlie in condemning the government, I would also condemn the criminals and the demagogues who foreseeably incited such lawlessness among the citizenry. That is not a, a rational response. The idea that someone could tell somebody else to start taking from the have-nots, would you have ever thought it okay to have some kind of violent reaction to Barack Obama talking about the 99% and the 1%? Would you have thought it okay for the government to engage in an action when Obama's talking about the 99% and the 1%, which is a takeoff of the proletariat and the bourgeoisie? It's Karl Marx, people, from beginning to end. 
Would you have said, well, no, 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 to, to, to do this, he can authorize the government to do X, Y, and Z? Of course not. You're making the argument You're making the argument that the rule of law doesn't matter. If you want to make the argument, as, as Jonah Goldberg is doing, that Lincoln shut down newspapers to, go, to engage in the Civil War to stop them from speaking, I would tell you that that's wrong. Of course I would tell you that that's wrong. Because these things remain... And that you see people so willing to say, well, if you had only done your part, what they decided was your part, well, none of this would have to happen. It's an old cartoon of Woody had gone straight to the police, none of this would ever have happened. Not, none of that is factual. None of that even makes sense. As a matter of fact, it is so contrary to a rational point of view that I wonder how someone gets there. The rule of law must remain. Otherwise, you have nothing. If a nation can tell you you cannot go to work and you cannot leave your house, you are no longer a citizen of that nation, but a subject. And these elected officials were not elected to rule. They were elected to govern. That fundamental difference is everything. And now I have so-called conservatives making the claim that if those people had just done what they were told, everything would be okay. You wouldn't have this unconstitutional move by Biden because eh, they would have already done what they were told. See, you caused, the, 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 you caused it. Why not just say, hey, citizens, your skirt was too short. That, is, that seems to me to be the argument that Goldberg and many, many others are making because a lot of people are making this argument, this argument about the idea that vaccines can indeed be forced. This is a reporter from the New York Times speaking on MSNBC about being vaccinated is not a personal choice. I don't believe that's true at all. I believe that it is a personal choice. Right, so a couple of things about what the governor said. First of all, in an infectious disease outbreak, getting vaccinated is not a personal choice. It's not. It's something that we do for the community. And this has been long upheld with legal precedent. Second of all, the governors who are complaining about Biden's mandate fail to note that he, in fact, gave businesses an out. Their employees can opt for mandatory uh, weekly testing. And third, he talked about, well, there's a long history with those other vaccines. Well, how do you think we got that long history? We got that long history because the vaccines were mandated. And some of those vaccines themselves created pushback during when they were first mandated because people didn't know what to trust, as the governor said, people were cautious. But in an infectious disease outbreak, your personal choice ends where my right not to get killed by an infectious disease begins. That is the ignorance. Because we're not talking about smallpox here. We're talking about COVID, which will be with us for forever. And the unvaccinated person is the only person at risk, it would seem, based on the data. 
The vaccinated person can infect the unvaccinated person. The unvaccinated person can infect the vaccinated person. And vaccinated can infect vaccinated and unvaccinated can infect unvaccinated. That's the way this goes. By being quote-unquote vaccinated, it's really an inoculation. What you're doing is protecting yourself from severity of the symptoms. That's all. So the argument here from Cheryl Stolberg at the New York Times is bunk. Because we're not discussing an infectious disease that you will ever get rid of. We're discussing a virus that is here for forever. And even as, as uh, I think it was Scott Gottlieb, former FDA uh, head, pointed out, you know, Americans, when it comes to vaccines like, like uh, mumps, measles, rubella, uh, 90% around that ra- range, maybe a touch higher. That's what they get to. We don't get to 100%. We never get to 100%. 90%. So what are we at now? We've got 200 million Americans plus with at least one shot, 175 million that, have, that are fully vaccinated. Never mind the people who have natural immunity. There's no respect for those people whatsoever. We're on our way. We're close. What are, we, what are you getting crazy for? Why would you even engage this mandate nonsense? You're already getting there. You win people over via persuasion, not via force. Jonah Goldberg is making the argument that of course you have to use force. But it wouldn't be necessary if you had just done what you were told. Cheryl Stolberg in the New York Times is saying of course you have to have force. I mean, my gosh, this is going to get you killed. 99% of people survive. What are you talking about? So I have one person absolutely undermining the very concepts of of, of decency, freedom, and liberty. And I've got another person who will not pay attention to science, which is clear and in front of your face. And we wonder why people are so confused. But I started this off by saying, look, it's, uh, it's not a done deal. These mandates are not a done deal. OSHA rules get thrown out all the time by the courts. Um, You got to see how it's written to figure out how the lawsuits are going to go. So there's a lot still to come. A tremendous, tremendous amount. These mandates are an ugly, ugly consideration joe biden is an ugly guy and authoritarian and there are people supporting this horror show thankfully none of these people understand anything about law and there are plenty of people still willing to fight by the way i'm not anti-vax go get one don't get one it's up to you but it seems to work that's what the data shows us i'm tony katz So am I to take it that the only reason I know Conor McGregor is in the news because he picked a fight with Machine Gun Kelly at the MTV Video Awards just so a guy like me on radio would talk about him? That's what happened, right? He got into like a scuffle, a dust-up. You watched the MTV Video Music Awards, producer Ari. What happened? I didn't watch it. You kidding me? Of course you did. I didn't watch that crap. You love that stuff. That is who you are. It is who I am, but I didn't watch it. Oh, okay. Just making sure we understand. 
what happened here. They got into a dust-up. They got into a kerfuffle. I don't know what it what it was. But, man, when it comes to Conor McGregor, you, 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 you broke your leg in, you know, in half in your last fight. You aren't training enough to be an elite fighter, even though you're still better than 99% of the planet. The problem is the 1% that you fight is in the octagon, and they're training harder. I mean, that's just fact. I can't beat up Conor McGregor. But guys who train every day clearly can. But he plays the part of the heel, man, like nobody else. And so there's no, I want to know if he and Machine Gun Kelly planned this beforehand. Machine Gun Kelly is here. Would you call him a rapper or a singer? Both. Okay. Is he any good? Sometimes. Okay. Machine Gun Kelly, they call him. He's got him. some bops. All right. All right. Does he have any bangers? Oh, he's got a couple bangers, too. Anyway, when, when you see that pass through your social media feed, now you know what it was. It was Conor McGregor looking for a little more airtime. Congratulations, Conor. Happy to help. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. I'm Tony Katz. Tomorrow, everyone. Take care.